of us, why don't you grab your Bibles, make your way to Second Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 35 this morning. Um, beginning this year, we have a series that God placed in my heart back in the summer of 2023 called Awaken. Awaken means revive, or to be revived, revival. And what we've been doing for the last several weeks is we've been looking at the life and reign of King Josiah, which is recorded here in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. We can also find it in 2 Kings as well. This morning, we're going to be spending time in verses 1 through 19, and we'll wrap up this series next Sunday uh, as a whole, and we'll get back to our ongoing series of Tell Me the Story of Jesus. What we've seen so far is how Josiah... The king sought the Lord. He sought after him for four years and had led to some conviction to fall upon his heart to begin ridding the land that he ruled over, to rid the things that were tearing people away from the presence of God, to rid the things that were causing people to fall deeper into sin, the things that opposed the Lord. And from that work, Josiah turned his attention to restoring the temple, a massive rebuilding project where he understood that for the people, in order for them to seek the Lord, in order for them to hear the word of the Lord themselves, that they needed the temple so they could go and they could be in his presence. They needed a place where they could gather and they could worship together. It was during that project that we saw in chapter 34 that the book of the law was found, which is also going to be referred to as the book of the covenant. And that book was brought to Josiah and read to him, and it led him to a place of repentance, a place of brokenness, a place to find even more action. The Bible says about Josiah's actions at the end of chapter 34, Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel. And he made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. And if we just kind of get a reminder of the sequence of events that led up to where we are in chapter 5 and and, and, and understanding that if we want revival, if we want to be awakened in our personal life, in our family's life, in the life of this church, in the life of this nation, it begins with us personally seeking it. We have to individually want it. We have to come before the Lord with a humble heart and say, Okay, God, what needs to be fixed? We have to come before the Lord being willing to repent to come before the Lord saying, I am willing to get rid of the things in my life that disgust you because I want you. I want your presence. And this morning we're going to see to be awakened to the proper response when the presence of God comes in our life as it came in King Josiah's and flew out into the nation of Israel. Look with me in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 35. Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to, to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. 
Now, if you aren't familiar with the Passover festival, it's a Jewish festival which the people would remember when God had delivered them from the nation of Israel, from bondage, from slavery. The very first Passover is recorded in the book of Exodus in chapters 12 and 13. This event happened in the spring, during the first month of the Jewish calendar known as Abib. On our calendar, we see it in late March or early April. It's typically the time when we gather together to celebrate Easter. The Passover for the Jewish people is a time when all of Israel, all of God's people would celebrate his mighty power. They would celebrate his faithfulness. They would celebrate his covenantal promises and how he was faithful to his word and what he said. And they would celebrate his provision. Now, the last time the Passover was celebrated within the nation of Israel occurred under King Hezekiah's reign. But it wasn't done at the proper time when God told his people, this is when you are to celebrate it. The Bible tells us that King Hezekiah called a Passover to be celebrated not in the first month of the Jewish calendar, but in the second month of the Jewish calendar. For this reason, because the priests had not consecrated themselves in a sufficient number. Passover was all hands on deck for the priests. It was a staple festival within the Jewish community and culture as it marked a time of new beginnings. And this is what we need when it comes to be awakened. Awakened to new beginnings. When the Lord instituted the Passover, he said, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It, is, it shall be the first month of the year for you. So when they came to the Passover festival, it was time to remember a new beginning. It would be similar to how we celebrate maybe New Year's Eve or New Year's Day in our culture today where we celebrate the newness and we make these resolutions for things to happen. But for the Israelites, the new year was marked with the spring. It was marked when things were coming back to life and it was a reminder to them that God was calling them to life. And Joshua and the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and they entered the promised land for the very first time. Before they went and marched around, they stopped and they celebrated the Passover. The Passover, which Josiah called all the people in Jerusalem to take part in, was symbolic for the spiritual life of the people. For over 60 years, they had not celebrated the Passover and they had become spiritually dead. But now as the nation was awakening to the presence of God, they celebrated the God of new beginnings. I think for some of us, this is what we need to do in our own life. Some of us, we've been walking in spiritual defeat too long. We've been living a life of stale Christianity. We've been going through the motions. And it's time to awaken to a new beginning. The beginning that we have been created in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone or passed away. Behold, the new has come. When I was in college at Southwest Baptist University, I started attending a church where a pastor made a comment that has stuck with me my entire life since that moment. And this is what he said. This is the first day of the rest of your life. 
I think all too often, like when it comes to New Year's, we wait till Monday. I'll start on Monday, or I'll start next week, or I'll start next month. It's just not a good time. Maybe I'll get to that next year. But the Bible reveals this is the only day we, in fact, know that we have. We aren't promised tomorrow. We aren't promised next week. We aren't promised next month or next year. And so right now the Bible says that we are to live as a new creation in Christ. And if we don't, we'll continue to live in what is pulling us down and the chains that are keeping us back. Country artist, and I'm not a big country fan, but the country artist Travis Tritt said it very well. It's a great day to be alive. And it's so great because every day we wake up, we get a new day. We get a new chance to do right. We get a new opportunity to pursue after God and to seek after him. Here it again, the old has passed away. That means it is completely gone. Behold, the new has come tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't here yet, but yesterday's done. Whatever you were wrestling with yesterday is gone. Whatever you were wrestling with last year is gone. The past is the past. And sometimes as believers, we tend to live in the past. But God calls us to move forward. For those in Christ, the Bible says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. For those who have yet to accept Christ, Maybe that's you here this morning. Promise to you is this can become a new day for you. This can become the day of your salvation, a day of new beginnings. Well, here's what the Passover is for us today. The last night that Jesus was with his disciples, the gospel tells us they went to celebrate the Passover meal together. And then Jesus gave it a new meaning in what we call the Lord's Supper which was to shine the truth that Jesus' body would be broken, his blood would be spilled out for the sins of the world so everyone and anyone everywhere could have a fresh start and a new beginning before a holy God. As announcement was made that there was going to be this festival, this Passover of new beginnings, Josiah calls the priests together to work and to make the proper preparations. Look with me in verses 3 through 6. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses by your divisions as prescribed in the writing of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the groupings of the fathers' houses of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the vision of the Levites by your father's household. And slaughter the Passover lamb. And consecrate yourselves. Prepare for your brothers to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Jump with me down to verse 16. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. 
So how does Josiah know what to do? How do you know how to give instructions to the priests? It's because they found the book of the law, which instructed them on the proper way to do things, on the proper way to be prepared for this, the proper way to worship the Lord. But as the Passover is getting ready, Josiah wanted the people to start getting prepared as well, according to the word of the Lord. So he gave instructions. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread used a, a flat, round, quick baking type of bread. It was made of flour and water. It didn't have any leavening agent in it. And the Israelites used leavened bread as part of the Passover meal and the week-long festival of unleavened bread. The Sandy Festival, which began at Passover on the 14th day of Abib, later is going to be called Nisan, served as a reminder of God's people that he had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And the Passover, like other Jewish festivals, was to be a teaching moment in the life of God's people. Today we have things in our worship time like the baptism or the Lord's Supper, times when we come and we worship and we gather together. These are all teaching agents for the next generation. In the book of Exodus, God knew that inquiring minds would want to know, what does all this mean? What is all this for? What is the purpose of this? And he told his people, and when the children say to you, what does... Do you mean by this service? You shall say it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Passover is only a time of new beginnings, but it was a time to remember. And we need to awaken to remembering. If you're reading through Scripture, You're going to see numerous times in Scripture that God calls his people to remember. Not only to remember, but to pass on to the next generation. To remember what he's done and how he's he's provided. For the Israelites, as they come to this festival, they're remembering his covenants, his promises. They're remembering his faithfulness, his mighty works. They're remembering his constant presence with them as they wandered throughout the wilderness. They're remembering his continual provision. When they didn't know how they were going to survive. They didn't know how they were going to find water. They didn't know how they were going to find food. For us today, baptism, the Lord's Supper and tithing and giving and worshiping and gathering together. These are all opportunities for us to remember, to remember who God is, to remember what God has done for us. I think a lot of times as Christians, we, we know the cross, but we've gotten so used to the idea of the cross. We put it on jewelry, put it on shirts and hats and water bottles, covers of Bibles, all sorts of things. It is at the cross where God poured out his full wrath for the sins of the world completely upon his holy son. It is at the cross where our Savior was so badly disfigured that the prophet Isaiah said that he could be hardly recognizable as a man. It is at the cross where Jesus and God stated that they chose you and me. It was at the cross in the midst of all of his pain that Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. It was at the cross the loving Heavenly Father turned his back on his only son so he would die a criminal's death. 
It was at the cross where Jesus stood and filled the gap between us and God that had been created by sin when Jesus held his arms out wide. It was at the cross where Jesus spread out his arms to shield us from a holy God's wrath and asked his Father to blame him for our mistakes and our sins. It was at the cross where Jesus spread out his arms to separate us from all of our sins as far as the east or far from the west. It was at the cross where Jesus says, it is finished. And he breathed out his last as he paid for the sins of all the world once and for all. It was at the cross where Jesus died the death we should have died because he lived the life we could not live. He perfectly was obedient to God's will and imperfectly submitted to his will so that we might find forgiveness, might live in grace and find the mercy of God. It was at the cross where God says, it's not about you or what you've done or what you think you need to do. It is about what I, your loving Heavenly Father, have done completely for you through my Son, Jesus Christ. For the Israelites in Josiah's day, time of Passover is a time of remembering that the Lord had passed over them because of the blood that was on their doorposts that shielded them from the angel of death. For us today is remembering that the blood of Jesus Christ was completely spilled out to shield us from the cost of our sin, which is death and eternal separation from God in a place the Bible refers to as hell for all eternity. We're called to remember. And in remembering, we are to awaken to the awesome love of our God. As Josiah gets all the priests ready here in our passage, all the artifacts in the temple are ready. They're in their place. All the altars are ready. The nation has come together. They're ready. And the sacrifices begin. Look in verse 7. And I may butcher some of these names coming up. (laughs) Then Josiah contributed to the lay people. It means he gave from his own. His Passover offerings for all who were present. Lambs and young goats from the flock to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. And his officials contributed willingly to the people, to the priests and to the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehiel, the chief officers of the house of God. Gave to the priest for the Passover offerings 2,600 Passover lambs and 300 bulls. Conaniah also, and Shemaiah, and Nathanael, his brothers, and Hashabiah, and Jael, and Josabad, the chiefs of the Levites, gave to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 lambs and young goats and 500 bulls. Verse 10. When the service had been prepared for, the priests stood in their place, and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's command, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb. And the priests threw the blood that they received from them while the Levites flayed the sacrifices, and they set aside the burnt offerings that they might distribute them according to the grouping of the father's houses for the lay people to offer to the Lord, as it is written in the book of Moses, and so they did with bulls. And they roasted the Passover lamb with fire according to the rule. And they boiled the holy offerings in pots and cauldrons and in pans and carried them quickly to all the lay people. And afterward, they prepared for themselves and for the priests because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were offering the burnt offerings and the fat parts into the night. 
So the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron. Verse 15. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place according to the command of David and Asaph and Heman and Judithan and the king Seir. And the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not need to depart from their service for their brothers, their Levites, prepared for them. Just from King Josiah's offering, I mean, we could calculate all these. 30,000 young goats and lambs, 3,000 bulls, and then you have all these other numbers thrown in there for all the people. See, it wasn't just the Passover that was being celebrated. It wasn't just that it was needed. The priests, in preparing themselves for this event, had to prepare their own hearts. They had to consecrate themselves for the work of the Passover, the work that they were going to have to do for the Lord. They were going to have to do burnt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings and guilt offerings and atonement offerings. And if you want to know more about those offerings, then go to the book of Leviticus and read chapters 1 through 6. They'll tell you all about it. And for the Israelites and God's people of the Old Testament, in order to have a restored relationship with God, something had to be sacrificed. And so today we have to remember, for us to be saved, for us to become a new creation, for us to be a believer in Christians, to be given a name that is written in the book of life and the promise that we will be in heaven one day, our sins have to be atoned for. And so we have to awaken by sacrifice. In Second Chronicles here, the Passover was really a celebration of blood. And that might seem a little morbid. And if anybody's associated with PETA today, they might get a little upset about what was happening. But the book of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Our salvation is only possible because of the excruciating pain and torture that Jesus Christ went through. Because of the wage, the wage of sin is death. It is only by death and blood of a sacrifice that our sins could be transferred unto the holy, righteous Son of God, and we not be held in judgment. This is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. He is our spiritual and eternal scapegoat. And this is what makes Christianity different than all other world religions. All, of, all world religions have a do-it-yourself type of belief. They hold some sort of pattern where the individual has to do some sort of good work, has to accomplish some sort of thing in their life, they have to die a certain type of death, or they have to abstain from certain things in order for that individual to reach paradise or their version of heaven. But when we come to Christianity, Christianity, on the other hand, says that Jesus did it all for us because we could not do it ourselves. The foundation of Christianity is that Jesus Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice as the perfect lamb so anyone and everyone might be saved through his death and resurrection. So when we lose sight of this incredible cost of Jesus' sacrifice, I believe that's when Christianity becomes a thing that we just do. It's a thing that we go about and we can justify ourselves. But I just want to remind you of the story. 
Jesus was betrayed by those closest to him. Jesus was turned on by those that he came to save. Jesus was arrested in the middle of the night under the cover of darkness to be led to be mocked, beaten, spit on, and be given an illegal trial by the Jewish religious council. And that wasn't enough. He was marched before Herod and paraded as entertainment. And then he was taken back to Pilate. There he would be condemned to be crucified. Yet the Bible tells us before he went to the place known as Golgotha, he was ordered to be flogged. Now in the Roman world to be flogged would be to take the condemned individual to a place known as the half-death. It was a stump where they would chain the individual down and they would beat them with a thing known as the cat's tails. The cat's tails was a whip which had shards of clay and glass on it. And the whole point of it is that when they whipped the individual on the half-death, it would sink into their skin and they would rip the flesh and the muscle out. It was called the half-death because half the people that went to that stump didn't survive it. But Jesus did. After being mutilated, they placed a robe on his body to mock him even more. They placed a crown of thorns on his head in order to mock him, but he did not retaliate. The Bible says he could have called a legion of angels to his side. He could have called it off at any time. He could have said, I'm done, but he didn't. He was then given a beam, which eventually would form the cross, And he was ordered to carry that beam through the streets of Jerusalem so all the people in the Jerusalem, the people he came to save, could mock him even more. When he finally reached the place of Skull, also known as Golgotha, it was there he was nailed to a cross. They put a sign above his head, guess what, to mock him even more. And then large nails were driven through his wrist. I know it usually reads hands, but in the Jewish terms, it was the wrist. It was between the bones. They put large nails into his ankles. And as he got on the cross, everyone understood this in the Roman world, that the cross was 100% successful in what it set out to do. And that was to kill the individual. As the individual would hang on the cross, they would suffocate because of a lack of oxygen. In order to breathe, they would have to pull their body weight up with the nails in their wrist so that they could take a deep breath in, and then they would clasp back down. Normally, the cross would take days where an individual would just slowly die because they would have no more strength to pick themselves up to take a breath in. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was beaten so badly that he died within hours. When the Roman guards struck a spear in his side, the Bible says liquid liquid like water came out because he had been bled dry and his body had given out. Yet in his very last words, he spoke of forgiveness for all who had a hand in it. That's us, too. And as he hung there, he breathed out his last. He cried out and declared, to a holy God, it is finished. 
he had set out and accomplished what he meant to do. The cross is a reminder of the sacrifice we needed in order to be saved. The cross is a very morbid representation of Christianity because it represents death and destruction. But God took this death sentence and he made it into something beautiful, just as he did for all of us. Through Jesus' sacrifice, God takes our sin, all of it. Here again, all of it. Past, present, and future, all of it. Through the cross, God takes all of our sin. And then he clothes us with the perfect righteousness of Christ. That's something we don't deserve. But that's why we have to be awakened to sacrifice and by sacrifice. To understand the extreme cost that God went through so we could be saved. We could be forgiven. And you may be dealing with something right now. But I want to tell you this. It's not surprise God. He is aware of it, and he still loves you. And the proof of that is the cross. The Bible says in 1 Peter, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now that word propitiation isn't a word that we probably use throughout our week. It's not one that's in our normal vocabulary. What that word means is by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, Jesus has appeased and fully satisfied the wrath of a holy God towards sin by obliterating that cost of sin and allowing those who are in Christ and covered by his sacrificial blood to enter into the holy presence of God. Turn to the book of Romans, and it says that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over our former sins. Let's look how our text concludes, verses 18 and 19. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept, kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah, and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. And what God is trying to do here in this passage 
is give us this vivid image of this extravagant celebration, which God tells us this has never been repeated. Now, we should keep in mind, this means all the Passovers before. This, this includes the initial Passover. This includes the, the first Passover that the Israelites did when they came into the Promised Land. This includes the Passovers that were held by King David when Israel was the dominant power in the world. This includes the Passovers held by King Solomon when Israel was one of the most richest nations in the world. And what it tells us is it is not our circumstances that keep us from being awakened. It is our lack of willingness to let go and to worship. And so we have to awaken to worship. Worship is adoring that which we love. When the prophet Samuel gave his farewell address to God's people, as they began the life under the leadership of a king, he told them, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Now to fear the Lord means to have an awe. It's to have a reverence of who he is. It's to, it's to have this idea of, of meditating and knowing that he is holy. To serve the Lord is to do what God has created us for. And in our act of service, we minister and we worship. To consider all that the Lord has done is more than just meeting together in Bible study to talk about it. It's more than just listening to podcasts. It's to stop. It's to, to ponder on it, to dwell on it, to meditate deeply. And when I say meditate, I don't, I don't want you to go, mm, no, I mean, we're just going to think on this. I'm not just going to read right over it. I'm going to allow my heart and my soul and my mind to be engulfed with the magnificence of it all. Passover in Josiah's day, during his reign, when you read that, we can simplify it like this. There was no holding back. They weren't going to just go through the motions. And this is what we need when we come before a holy God. Let loose in your worship. Let loose in your serving. Become emotional. It's okay. You can clap before the song ends. You can pray in the middle of the song if you want to. Matter of fact, if, if we're worshiping and you feel like, man, I'm just being convicted by this song, I'm in awe of this song, man, come to the altar. It doesn't have to be at the end of the service. God is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and truth, not worshipers who go through the motions. He's seeking them. People who love him and adore him and in awe of him. God is seeking people who are in awe of his love for them. The love that we talked about at the cross. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has revealed it. Maybe you have Become numb to the cross. Become numb to the sacrifice of Jesus. I mean, you know the story. You've seen the movies. But you're just 
be awakened to the great sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And let's just fall in love with God because he loves us so much. Perhaps you're here today and you've realized God's great love for you. And you know you have yet to accept it. You can't be a worshiper of God until you accept his love and his gift for you. And this is why we preach the gospel. God created you for a relationship with him. He didn't create you for your job. He didn't create you for the relationships you're in with other people. He didn't create you for retirement. He didn't create you for a paycheck. He didn't create you for a vacation. He created you for a relationship with him. That's your sole purpose. All those other things will be impacted by that relationship, but the issue is, is that your sin is separating you from that relationship. And you can't do enough good things. That's why Jesus Christ paid it all. And he paid it in full. He lived perfectly according to the word of God, the law of God. And as I mentioned, they placed him on that cross where he died. And they placed him in a tomb, but he rose again. Praise the Lord. And he rose so that we might find forgiveness in him and by our faith in him alone that we might be given the gift of eternal life and the promise that we will be in heaven one day. And if you're here this morning and you have yet to accept Jesus Christ, hear this, going to church does not save you. Being at church doesn't make you a Christian. You need Jesus. And you're here this morning and you're like, okay, I get it. I mean, standing down here... We're going to call this a time of invitation, a time of response. And I'm going to ask you just to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I need to be saved. We'll pray together. We'll celebrate together. And I promise you there will not be a brother and sister in Christ in this room who will not be celebrating with you. And the Bible says when one person repents and returns to the Lord, the heavens, the heavens erupt in praise. This may be the day of your salvation. Maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father. Maybe you know your heart's just kind of going through the motions. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us. I want to pray over us real quick. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love for us that we do not deserve, we cannot earn, but you just love us. And Father, there's someone here this morning that needs to begin a relationship with you found in Jesus Christ. I pray your spirit gets a hold of their heart and they walk down that aisle. But Lord, forgive us as your people. If we've just been going through the motions and singing about the cross and being decorated with the cross and forgetting the extreme cost of the cross. Lord, I don't know why you would go through that for me. But I praise you and I thank you that you did. Forgive us if we failed you in any way this morning. And ask your kingdom and will continue to be done. And we praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.